Come on, people. Don't do it again. Don't give people gifts they don't want. This year, give them the ultimate gift, the gift of Let'sRun.com. It's our once-a-year Black Friday sale. Give a Supporters Club membership. or get your Buy yourself one. That's the new age. Buy yourself a gift. Enter the code GOAT50 for 50% off. Better yet, enter the code CLUB25 so we can give $25 to Jonathan Colt. He doesn't want to end up like those writers at Jezebel or the New York Times sports staff. Let's run.com slash subscribe today. Goat 50 for 50% off or club 25. Can't complain about that, Robert. I think if you're thinking about giving yourself a gift, I mean, just think we got an Olympic year in 2024. We're going to have daily podcasts from Paris. That alone might be worth it to just have it to get you through the summer. Olympic trials, a lot of big events coming up, a one-year membership. I think it'll pay for itself once you add in all the discounts. All right, let's talk about the show today. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. What an episode we have in store for you. We're back from the NCAA Cross Country Championships, and as usual, they were totally awesome. The women's race, Florida's Parker Valby dominated the field to post the biggest winning margin in 16 years as the NC State women, led by Caitlin Tui, turned back Northern Arizona to win a third straight title. On the men's side, Graham Blanks became the first Ivy League man to win the NCAA cross-country title. Dartmouth's own Abby D'Agostino did it 10 years earlier on the women's side. And the team standings, Oklahoma State scores just 49 points, defeating a fine effort from three-time defending champions Northern Arizona, dethroning the Lumberjacks. Could the Cowboys be starting a dynasty of their own? We had boots on the ground coverage. We'll break it all down. Thank you to all our supporters club members. Thank you to the people I met in Charlottesville. It was great on race day, just walking around the course and having people bump into me and say, hey, enjoy your work. Enjoy the website. Enjoy the podcast. We're members of the supporters club. We were listening on our drive over. Music to my ears, people. It was great seeing so many of you out there. Beautiful day for racing. Really fun time. I can't wait to talk about it with the brothers Johnson. This is Jonathan Galt, joined by Robert and Weldon Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. Guys, welcome to the show. Truly thrilled to be here, John. And I mean that. My near-to-death experience on Sunday. It's been a tough week for the Johnsons. My wife breaks her fibula. I can't go to NCAAs as a result. Made the mistake of trying to get up on a ladder to clean the gutters in the second floor and didn't really know what I was doing. Ended up falling onto a concrete deck. My elbow, my arm no longer extends forward, but I am alive. What? Second floor gutter to the ground? The truth is coming I'm, out. It's a good thing we have these podcasts. It makes Robert actually talk to me. This probably should have resulted in death. It was extremely stupid what I was doing. I did think, is the ladder too far down? Could it possibly slip out? And I said, fuck it. 
And then I got up at least, I wasn't quite to the second story. I was at least one story up. And then I realized it was going down with me. This is sad. Robert and, trying to be a noble, loving husband, doing chores, maintaining the house. And he's punished by his act of benevolence by possibly breaking his arm, still at TBD. It's just, I mean, maybe it's a message you shouldn't be doing yard work or chores or housework. See, John, you, you, that's what my wife says. She thinks whenever I try to do yard work, she's like, you're just trying to be macho out there and act like a real man. And I guess I should accept it. Nerds are cool. I mean, what did I learn in Let's Run this week? DC is the Hollywood for the nerds and the not good luck. I, and that's where I moved right after college. So maybe I'm a nerd. I think I'm going to have to take a break for yard work what, for a while. What do you mean? How is that? the reason why nerds are cool. Nerds are clearly cool this week because Graham Blanks, a guy who runs for Harvard University, won the NCAA cross-country championship, not someone started some random thread on the Let's Run message board. Well then, you were not in an NCAA cross, you were not in an NCAA cross on Saturday, and you're a Yale alum, and Yale-Harvard, one of the most storied rivalries in collegiate athletics. So as a Yale cross-country alum, are you happy for Graham Blanks and Harvard University? Or are you mad that your greatest rival just won the hardest race to win in collegiate running? Extremely happy, John. I was actually at the Yale-Harvard game. They announced Graham Blinks was the winner. The Yale Bowl rose to its feet and cheered. Made that part up, but... Wait, no, did, really they, did they announce Graham. him, though? I feel like that's something that could have been announced, like Harvard's Graham Blinks just won the NCAA cross-country title. Not to my knowledge, John. It was not announced. Frank Shorter was being honored by Yale this weekend. I'm not going to compare winning the NCAA cross-country title with winning the Olympic gold medal in the marathon. But this was a pretty damn impressive performance. And another reason to join the Supporters Club, Graham Blanks will be on this week, this Friday's Friday 15. We're interviewing him tomorrow. We're going to release it as the Friday 15. If you want to hear Graham Blanks before everybody else, you need to be a supporters club member. I'm not going to compare the two accomplishments, or maybe I am. Maybe I'm going to say this. Frank Shorter ran in Sibley Cross Country and ran in the Olympics. He only won one of those races well then. He did not win the NCAA Cross Country title. So I guess what I want to let's start with that because I watched this race. And the big concern going in, it wasn't that Graham Blanks wasn't good at running. I mean, he was second in the NCAA 5000 in June. He won the Nutty Comb Invitational over many of the best runners in the country. He was undefeated going into this race. This wasn't exactly an upset on paper, but he just beat some really, really good athletes. He's only 21 years old, an American. Usually we're seeing an international star win it, or we're seeing an American who's been around for a few years, like Connor Mance or before him, Galen Rupp. Both were in their fifth or sixth years of college. Blanks is in his third year of college. Now, granted, he did take a gap year before enrolling in Har- at Harvard in the fall of 2021. But here are the guys he beat. Habtam Samuel, who's 17th at World Cross this year, two-time world under-20 medalist on the track from Eritrea, who's run 27-20 for 10K. Kai Robinson, the NCAA 5K and 10K champion from Australia. Dennis Kipengedich of Kenya, who was fourth at their sorry third at their senior championships this year. So 
I look at all those guys, I'm like, these are absolute studs. And yet it's a 21-year-old from Athens, Georgia, who has taken them all down. It's really, really impressive. It's a very, very hard race to win. Americans don't win it very often. The fact that Blanks did it in his third year of college, I think, is really an incredible accomplishment. It's an amazing accomplishment. In some ways, unprecedented for 20 years. To say third year of college is a little bit misleading. I mean, he did take a gap year, so this way he would be a senior. But let's look at the Americans. Look, I was thrilled as well that he won. He, we have some family ties. Like, you want to have some reason to root for somebody? His great aunt is my parents, one of my parents' best friends. But let's look at the Americans. But I, I, I said that he would not win. Why? Because I'm like, look, he's a 21-year-old American. And... 21-year-old Americans don't normally win this race. Look at who's won since we've started Let's Run.com, the Americans. <clears throat> Connor Mance, 2021, he won two. He was 24. He was well past his four years out of high school. Galen Rupp won in 2008. He was 22. That would have been his <clears> – <throat> it was five years after he graduated from high school. Josh McDougall won the year before. He was also 22, that's 2007. Now, that was four years after high school, I think. So he was the only one that was, you know, four years of high school. Joshua Otinsky won the year before that. He was age 24 for BYU. You've got to go all the way back to Dathan Ritzenheim, 2003. 20 years of age. It was a month before his 21st birthday. To find an American winning it. Um, At age you know, 21 or younger. Under the, Yeah, basically. and. The other thing that's surprising about this win is, so not only is the age surprising, but the other people that win at, you know, at sort of your quote unquote standard age, what are they? Most of them are, are absolute phenoms in high school. Jorge Torres won in 2002 at age 22. He was a footlocker champion. Dathan Ritzenheim, footlocker champion. Um, now, <laughs> Josh Rohatinsky was not a footlocker champion. When he won it, but he was super overaged. He was 24 years of age. He was a three-time Footlocker finalist. I think he was his his best finish was maybe fourth. Josh McDougal, top five at Footlocker. Galen Rupp, top five at Footlocker. Connor Mance, in addition to being overaged, he also was a three-time Footlocker finalist. Now I think his best finish was like he was like tenth as a sophomore. He was never top five. But my, the point being, normally. I, I used to joke, you should not be allowed to be a professional runner unless you're top 10 at Foot Lockers in high school because it's normally the prep phenoms that are also the college stars then 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 become the pro stars. And I'm not it's, I'm not trying to say that Grand Blanks wasn't good in high school. I mean, he was eighth in, in the Georgia State meet as a freshman, 37th in Foot Locker South, fourth as a sophomore. But he's only ran 431, 933 as a sophomore. Um, junior year, he wins the state meet in, 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 in Georgia, but he was only 301st at Florida South, 911, two mile. But you know, his senior track season was wiped out with COVID. But let's look at his senior year of cross country in high school. He did win the NXN regional, but he's only 28th at Foot Lockers. So all these other guys were either top five at Foot Locker or three time finalists at Foot Locker. Or overaged or both. And this is a guy that was, I mean, obviously you have to be talented to win an NCAA title. You know, Harvard doesn't have that many admission spots. Alex Gibby obviously saw something in him. 
<clears throat> but this is defying what we normally see happen. Absolutely. Sure. The interesting thing about this is Graham Blanks and Nico Young were both the same year in high school. And if I told you from the 2019 Nike Cross Nationals, all right, there's a guy in here who four years from now in their fourth year out of high school is going to win NCAA Cross. I think everyone would have assumed it was Nico Young who won that race. He was a prep phenom. He ran 756 indoors to break the high school 3K record. Graham Blanks is fastest PB was 904 indoors. Again, his most of his senior year on track was wiped out. But, you know, 28th, I think a guy who gets 28th at NXN, I can see why Harvard would be interested in him. Like, that's not a guy who's going to be like, oh, this is definitely a can't-miss pro, but a top 30 guy at NXN, I think many programs across the country would be happy to land someone like that, especially from sort of a, a non-traditional cross-country power state like Georgia. So, they got him, but then by the time he actually enrolled at Harvard, I think we all realized he was very special because he went out to Flagstaff with other guys on the Harvard team. It was interesting. He told the story at NCAAs 12 hours before the deadline to enroll for the 2020-2021 academic year. Graham Blanks got a text from Acer Iverson, who was a future teammate of his on the Harvard team, and said, hey... We're all going, taking a gap year this year, you know, just FYI. And Graham realized, okay, so if I go and enroll at Harvard, it's going to be hybrid classes. There are no Ivy League championships because they Ivy League canceled them in 2020-21. Or I can go out to Flagstaff, train with a bunch of my teammates, still get coached by Alex Gibby, the Harvard coach, and maybe get a lot better. And that's exactly what happened. He made a huge jump. He ended up running 13.27 that May, which I was at that race, and it wasn't like amazing conditions or anything. Like It was just this kind of random high school track in Massachusetts, one of the few meets that was going on around that time due to COVID. It's not like everything was set up for him to rip a fast time, and he ran 13.27. Then I realized, wait a minute, this guy's one year out of high school, and he's going to Harvard? Like This, this is a mega talent. So... I think by that point, we realized, okay, he could be special, but certainly it wasn't clear he was a can't-miss project. And maybe that would have changed if he had a spring track season uh, as a senior in high school, but he didn't. So his progression is, you know, I, I think part of it you can say, oh, it's crazy, it's unbelievable. And then part of it's like, well, okay, it just we didn't get to see him in his spring, spring season. And then he made these big improvements kind of behind closed doors. Yeah, I, I think the, t the stat at the time was when he runs the 1327, I think he's the fastest American at 5,000 ever before enrolling in college, before starting college. I think that was the stat. He wasn't the U.S. junior record holder, but he was faster than any American had run before setting foot on college. So obviously a talent. By the way, I, I had been spent a lot of time this morning looking up to figure out where those other guys finished at Foot Lockers. McDougal was fourth in high school, Rupp second. Rowatinsky, three-time qualifier, 27th, fifth, and fourth, and Mance. Was tenth as a senior, seventh as a junior, twelfth. Twelfth, Cuttermans was twelfth in the nation as a sophomore in high school. So these guys, you know, were, were the, the, those are the talents jumping off, off off the talent, you know, off the page in tenth grade. You know, as a future NCAA star for blanks, you know, it, it 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 took a little bit longer. I do think though the fact that you know. He was willing to take the gap here right away and move to Flagstaff. I mean, in some ways, it reminds me of my former All-American, Bruce Hyde, from Hep's champion. Like, not many kids are all in and running at that age. Like, 
th- that's kind of a, a, a big step. Just like, Hey mom, dad, I'm moving to Flagstaff. You know, he hasn't gone to college and, and they were cool with that. He was so into running. He wanted to do that. I mean, it's fun. It's better, better sitting around the house. I guess a lot of parents would rather you do it, do something than just sit around during a COVID year, gap year. But, you know, I do think that some kids go to these schools like Stanford, the Ivies, Duke, and they get distracted. They're not focused on the running. Other things get in the way. And then when they get out, like my brother, and they don't have academics or Grant Fisher, their, their level rises to the top. This guy's clearly been focused on being a great runner before he even said at Harvard. And, you know, one thing I thought, also thought going against him was he's not training in altitude. Everybody else, you know, right? I mean, let's go, let's go through the top five. Like, like I guess the Oklahoma State guys aren't in altitude, but everybody else is, right? Right. And De- I mean, Dennis Kipengedich had spent his entire life at altitude until he arrived at Stillwater this year. It's Kai Robinson, third place. He's not an altitude guy. Um, but yeah, Blanks and Ab- Abtum Samuel second from Eritrea, trains in Albuquerque, the NAU guys in five and six, Drew Bosley, Nico Young. So it's a good, obviously, it's an advantage to train in altitude. And that's my question to you, Weldon, is what do we think his pro potential is? Because going in, like, wow, the last time someone this young from America won NCAA Cross was Dathan Ritzenhain, who turned out to be uh, an all-time great runner, American record holder in the 5,000, three-time Olympian. What do we think Graham Blanks could be? Because from his year in flag stuff, I feel like this guy could be like a super altitude responder. Once you get him out of college... I don't know. He seems like a big talent. I guess the one question is, does he have sort of that track speed to be to, the kick to be a factor on the track? But what do you make of Graham Blank's pro prospects? I think they're as good as anybody else's in the NCAs right now. You could easily argue better, right? But the other way to look at it is, okay, the gap here. Thank you, Ivy League, for getting it so wrong about COVID. I mean, like, oh my gosh. Like, they, 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 they one league to cancel sports the whole year, pretty much. And I think without the gap year, we don't see this happening. Graham Blanks goes to Harvard. He gets slotted into being a Harvard runner, trying to be the best on the team. He's not the 1320 guy. Instead, he just went to Flagstaff and said, I'm just going to run. And boom, 1320. And, and the way you could look at it is, by that year, he was only three seconds slower than Nico Young at, at 5K. So when he starts his college career, he's on the level of Nico Young. We hadn't seen the results really till last spring, but... He's clearly an altitude responder, which is good. Oh, sure, you can question his speed or whatever, how much more he's going to develop. Oh, he's young, you say. Uh, you know what Jakob Ingebrigtsen did at age 20? Won the Olympics. You know how old a thing Mo is right now? 21. She's she's younger than Graham Blanks, right? Yeah, a few months younger. Kiwi Hodgkinson as well. If, if his Twitter birth date is correct, he just says April 24th, I think. But, I mean, just but still, like, just a, a kid from Harvard winning the NCAAs. Robert said we wouldn't have Graham on the podcast until he won the NCAAs. And I'm like, well, we, we may never see him. Well, thankfully, we got him tomorrow. Yeah, it's interesting comparing him to Nico Young, because I always thought Nico Young was very similar skill set to Ritz. They always look like they in, they're in pain when they're running, but they can really suffer not huge kicks, but they're just super strong. I mean, the way Graham Blanks won this race, he's just got to be strong as a mule right now to withstand all those moves that everyone was making. This was a quick race. I mean, they were through 5K. Sorry, they were through 8K in under 23 minutes. The winning time was 28.37. Now, you know, we never know exactly how long these courses are, but 
People were making moves left and right. There were a lot of good guys up there. I mean, Hampton Samuel, the guy he beat, he outran a 27-20 guy down the stretch. And Blanks was absorbing every move. He was going with every move. He said later he ran like a dumbass because he felt like he was responding. He was too he was paranoid to be up about getting dropped, like everyone got dropped last year by Bosley, Young, and Charles Hicks. So I don't know. I, I guess my question on that, Robert, we're we're always there's this belief in the sport that oh, if you're respond if you're responding hard to every single move, you're wasting energy. It's it's smarter to just hang back in the pack. And Graham was like, well, I did it, but I'm not sure if I was wasting more physical en- energy or mental energy. I mean, I, I do think there is, uh, by hanging back in the pack and not sort of answering everything immediately, that is going to help you race in the long term. Do we think, do I think, are we overrating the amount of energy it costs to cover every move? Or was it just Graham Blanks was really, really strong and, he was strong enough to answer everything. Like, what do you make of that and his strategy and his comments about being a dumbass? I didn't think he ran like a dumbass. Admittedly, I need to go back and probably watch the tape. I was typing up the woman's recap while much of the men's race was going on. But I remember at Nuttycomb, to me, it seemed like he was sitting kind of just in, in the middle of the pack in like 10th place, not right up in the front. And then kind of he moved up late. And I'm like, oh, this is his move. And then he didn't make the move. And then he waited to the very end and, and won it. Whereas in this race, I, I obviously, again, I'm kind of focused on Graham a little bit. When I looked up, I never saw him in the front. I never saw him pushing the pace right in, in front of people. So maybe I'm wrong. Like, I didn't see those no, big no. moves. That's what he said, though. He's, he wasn't pushing the pace. He didn't make his move until a K to go. But he was answering every time someone else made a move. I didn't think it came across as that. Exactly, but there were definitely times when others would surge. Kai Robinson made a move. Kip and Gedich and Brian Massal made a couple a move in there. And but so, but 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 what I'm saying is he's responding right. to those moves, so he's using less than them. I mean, the the way to run these races is what Mo Farah did. It's what Weldon used to do in, in the 10K. Just stay in the back of the lead pack or the middle of it. People keep shuffling around you. Stay on the rail. Use no energy. And then when the pack's breaking up, make sure you're staying on it. Make sure you're staying on it and then kick at the end. So he didn't quite do that, but uh, I, I didn't, you know, maybe he was really focused on like, okay, let's save energy, let's save energy. And he didn't do that. But there's also something to be said for putting yourself into it, you know, in, in the sense of you feel like you're, 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 you're in it to win it. You're on top of it. And when we, when we talk about the team battle, obviously Oklahoma State did that. My God. One more thing on Graham Blanks. This is the post of the week by Mick Running. You will get a free Let's Run.com shirt at shop.letsrun.com. Check out our store today. Mick Running writes, His win today deserves a lot more attention. It's not just that he won. It's how he won and by how much. As you guys noted, he covered every move as if nobody, nothing could phase him, and he powered away from everyone. He beat an under-20 medalist in 17th, place finisher at senior world cross by three seconds he put 18 seconds on the defending ncaa 5k and 10k champ and he beat everyone else by 20 plus seconds dominant performance i mean it's crazy right he, he crushed nico young I, I i didn't realize how dominant this thing was because i was at a tailgate watching on my phone like i mean just a great run and i i i think there's something to be said right like when you crush everyone like that, 
these two guys really brought it and were clearly better than everybody else. So for Grant to be at that level, I think it speaks very highly of his future potential. You nailed it. I mean, I was going to say, do you guys realize how far ahead he was of the top American, second American in this race? I mean, it's always a bell. I mean, always a bell car. When the one year in Wisconsin, they waited and everything, the whole field was kicking with 400 meters to go. But like the difference between first and 10th is massive. The difference between first and fifth, Drew Bosley, fifth place, 26.1 seconds behind Grand Blanks. That's why I love cross country better than, better than the track. I mean, track, you're like whole fields within what <laughs> nowadays and the level, nobody makes any moves and it's like top tens within 10 seconds of each other. I mean, First to 10th is, this is the definition of a bell curve. It's 36 seconds. You go 36 seconds back from 10th, you're all the way at 38th. You're almost out of All-American stats. Now, the idea that they have 40 All-Americans is kind of ridiculous, but hey, that's the way it works. All right, we're having a new segment on Let's Run. We need more positivity on the website. The best thing in running this week. Send your nominations. You can always send your nominations. It doesn't have to be this obvious. The first ever winner of the best thing in running, doesn't have to be a person, is Mr. Graham Blanks. All of our new segments are really taking off. The friends and girlfriends of the Fast and Famous, please be contacting us. Please be contacting us if you want to be guest number two. We need one of these about once a month. November's almost up here. And, oh, wait, speaking of the best thing in running, this might be the second best thing in running. We love Let's Run visitor Habs, a.k.a. Harry. His wonderful girlfriend has let us know. It's his birthday this week. Creates the Diamond League contest for everything. Computer wizard, great all-around guy. Happy birthday, Habs. Habs, if you're listening, do you know AI? Can we create an app, a coaching app? Me, John Kellogg, and you. One-third each. Let's get rich. I th- best thing in running. I, mean, I don't know why we're bringing up someone's birthday, but I thought you might mention. I know we haven't even talked about the women's division one race, but how about Fiona Smith, division three, St. Benedict's? She won the division three meet by more than a minute. How is that possible? Congrats to her. Also, there was, I, I apologize. I should, John, you know the girl's name. Addie Wiley, NAIA champion. Is that where you're going, Robert? No. Her name won't be mentioned until she signs a pro contract. There was a young lady with one arm in Division One race, all American, almost an all American. Ashley Jones of Tennessee lost her right arm in an ATV accident in 2016. 42nd overall. I mean, obviously, even if you take out the fact that she's missing an arm, which I don't, I, I was like, how can you even be a good runner without? an arm like it's almost all of it's gone it's almost entirely amputated below the the shoulder her improvement in 2023 is incredible last year at high point she was 39th in the ncaa southeast regional had never made it to ncaa cross she was fourth in her conference meet in the mile indoors transfers to tennessee and now she goes from never even qualifying to 42nd overall to lead Tennessee to a sixth place finish in the team race. They hadn't qualified as a team since 2006. So really impressive improvement for her. And obviously a uh, great run for Tennessee as well. 
I enjoyed the interview with Tennessee coach Sean Carlson about how he's trying to make it fun for the women. There's a lot of pressure. Women, I, th- I do think women handle the pressure differently than men. But can I say something somewhat negative? Let's just hope that those distance runners are staying away from what the head coach, the director of the program, used to have access to and what his son may have had access to. Whatever happened to that, John, Randolph Ross, this is a sidetrack here, the head coach of Tennessee, was part of the Balco scandal. His son well, went Dwayne into Ross is hurdle, the father, the coach. Dwayne Ross, part of the Balco scandal. Randolph Ross, the son that won the 400 NCAA title, skipped out on some drug tests. I've never heard anything. No explanation. I've never seen the case. Have I just not been paying attention? Yeah, you haven't or? been paying attention. He gave a lengthy interview with Track and Field News. He kind of gave some background on it. He accepted responsibility, and he's serving his suspension. So he made he just missed three tests. I mean, he had some expl- – he said he was moving. I think he has been moving between North Carolina A&T and Knoxville. I mean, he had some explanations, but he he didn't come out and say like, oh, you know, this didn't ha- – like he did miss some tests. So I think you need to go in a little more detail. But he – I credit to him, I mean, at least talking about it. We've got to- Toby Amason, who was suspended and then was unsuspended and now a suspension is being appealed. We have no idea what may have caused – AIU to charge her in the first place because she refuses to talk about it. So at least he explained himself. Some of you may be upset that I brought that up, but there was Grace in Okacha, another A&T sprinter who I think did test positive. Anyways, let's get back well, to the NCAA cross country. Well, John, there is a difference. One person was suspended. The other one has been cleared. So if you're cleared, I don't think you have quite the same obligation to speak. Well, she's been cleared for now. The AIU is is so convinced they're correct. They're appealing that case to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And I, I agree she's not under an obligation. But well, if I was a Toby Amazon fan, I would just want to hear her explanation. I would want to say, hey, there was some confusion about this. I'm in the right. This is why. I guess if you want to just blindly believe in her and say, hey, she says she's innocent, so she's innocent, innocent. You can do that, but for me, it's, I mean, as a journalist, obviously, I want all the facts out there. And if someone was charged by the AIU and is now having that case go to CAS, CAS, I'd kind of like to know, like, why is why does the AIU think there was a rule violation here? Yeah, I'm not trying to give her a free pass at all. I think she should say more, but I'm just saying there is a difference. Yes, she's currently at- there's a huge difference. He's currently suspended. She's not. So I'm just correct. Correct. If I was her and I was innocent and I'd been suspended, I would be ranting and raving left and right, speaking every ch- time I got the chance. But that's, I don't know, people are different. By the way, it's a bad week for journalism. I always say, like, our sports amateur, in any other sport, they'd have to talk to the press. That's true in the NFL, maybe the NBA. Have you guys seen this Brittany Reese, the college basketball woman star? She's been, like, not playing a game, suspended, and the head coach just won't Brittany Reese, why. the former long jump world champion? Do you mean Angel Reese? No. Yes, I mean Angel Reese. Anyways, let's get back to NCAA cross country. We've talked about Grand Blank's amazing win, but how about the Oklahoma State men? It was prophetic because in John's preview, he, he spoke to the Oklahoma State coach, Dave Smith, and he's like, look, you know, last year they both tied with 83 points on Oklahoma State's home course. Oklahoma State loses the tiebreaker. And Dave's like, we wanted to beat the champs, but we didn't knock them out. I feel like if you're going to beat the champs, the dynasty, you got to knock them out. And they did that a day later. 
I mean, Oklahoma State was absolutely amazing. They put five in the top 15 and ran away with this meet. The lowest winning score since the, in the modern era since it's had 31, 31 teams, right, John? No, Wisconsin scored 37 in 2005. But the second forty nine is an exceptional score. They had all f- five finishes in the top fifteen, and the thing is, like going in. Okay, when we were analyzing this race and previewing it, I was well aware that they could have four guys in the top fifteen: Dennis Kibengedich, Brian Musal, the two new additions from Kenya from over the summer, plus Fouad Musaudi, who was the NCAA three K champion. And Alex Mayer, who was fifth at NCAA Cross last year. I'm like, on their best day, all of those guys are top 15 guys. But my concern was their number five, Victor Shitsama, had not been running well this year. He's only 45th at Big 12s, even though he has a great history at NCAA Cross. And NAU always crushes this meet. NAU was, and NAU did crush this meet. They scored 71 this year. That is an exceptional total for a winning team. Not, you know, and the fact that they got second. Yeah, it's just Oklahoma State hit a best-case scenario. They're four guys who could be in the top 15, roll in the top 15. And Victor Shitsama, who Dave Smith just said, hey, you kind of overcooked. I'm giving you three weeks off of workouts in the middle of the season. Tried to get things right. He showed up, and he delivered his best race of his life. He finished his 12th overall. And then, okay, yeah, there's no way that Oklahoma State was losing after that. They, they came out. They ran their best on the biggest stage in college distance running deserved national champions at an all time performance. And that's what it took to be NAU because again, 71 points more often than not that school will win. NAU has won six of the last seven titles before this meet. Only once did they score fewer than 71 points. They scored 60 in the March, 2021 championships. So this was one of the best NAU teams of their dynastic run, Dave Smith gave them a lot of praise afterwards. He called them one of the all-time great teams in any collegiate sport, you know, looking at their six of seven titles. Uh, they had to be that good to knock them out to, uh, because NAU was also spectacular on Saturday. It was amazing. And I wish I could say I told you so on the podcast, but I had to miss Friday's show. My wife was getting her own MRI before I had to get my MRI, my elbow. But I had the epiphany Friday night when I was filling out the prediction contest powered by Zappos. By the way, Weldon, do we have an update on the scoring? Like, I'm wondering if I won this thing. Because it's the night before the race, and I'm filling it out. And I put four Oklahoma State guys in the top 10. I'm like, how is this going to be close? Oklahoma State's going to run away with this. And they did. Now, I did pick the Oklahoma State guy to win it all. I wish I'd see if I'd been in states, I would have known this because I talked to Dave after the race. He's like, Yeah, I probably would have told you this kick's Which not the greatest. And OSU guy to win it all. Dennis Kepengedich is fourth. Okay, because Robert's criticizing uh, me before the meet. I, I'm writing my article saying who I think is gonna win or possible title contenders. And I'm I'm not gonna name names, but I listed one of them in there, and Robert's like, I haven't even heard of this guy. How how can you possibly say he's gonna win? And he's criticizing me for not including Dennis Kipengedich, and yet he can't even summon Dennis Kipengedich's name in our post-race show. So there's a little no. double standard here, Robert. J- I'll, I'll say the names. I'm not afraid of it. John had his contenders, and then he had like outside shot chances, and he had Drew Bosley as a contender, 
but not Dennis Kippen Gittich. And to me, Dennis Kippen Gittich was a guy a third at the Kenyan champs. This is a guy that had run away with every meet he had run this Not year. true. He got except 12th, big, 14th except for big, big 12s, I think. Ex- except for big 12s, where he was clearly way off his game in 14th. So I'm like, if this guy had won big 12s, we would have thought, this is this Kenyan stud who's won every race by like at he least won, 10 he, seconds. He, he won two run. races this year. He won the Cowboy Jamboree in September, and then he won the regional where no one cares who wins the regional because it's all about making it to nationals. It was not obvious that, obviously, okay, his performance in Kenya before he got to OSU was really impressive. But to say like, oh, he's clearly much better than Drew Bosley, who was third in this meet last year, who has run the NCAA record, breaking Yara Nagusa's NCAA 3K record, 736. I, okay, maybe I should have included both of them. I guess you can take your victory lap. Dennis did beat Drew Bosley by one whopping place in the meet on Saturday, but... Yeah, you know, the idea that Drew Bosley wasn't a title contender, I think, is also kind of crazy. But do we have the scores? Well, can I check my score? I think I did pretty well. Although I think there was a mistake. How did I pick Tui over Volby? What the hell was that? I think there was some somebody must have logged in under my name or something. Congratulations, Robert. You finished in three hundred and forty second place in an individual contest. Fifty fourth. Grant you made the top hundred in the team contest. Congratulations. The NCAA contest, the scoring is not my favorite, but I don't know of a better way to do it. I wish maybe we should pick the top three, but we make polls and stuff out of it by picking the top ten. Because I say the scoring but, is convoluted. I was looking at how all this stuff was added up, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is there's these negative tens, then you get a lot, and then the you get a lot of points for picking the winner. Like it's very, very heavily weighted towards getting the winner of these races, which I guess maybe it should be because we, you know, there's only four of them, but. I, I, yeah, I feel like that needs to be an overhaul, but I'm also not the person. I don't really want to sign up for that task. So, And as a former winner of this contest, remember, I, I beat everyone in 2016 to win this contest. Maybe the scoring is just fine. So it was a perfect outcome for me. NAU ran amazing on the men's side, but they lost. I wanted the dynasty to end, and it did. And John, you put this in perspective by the way, if you're not going to the homepage every day, you need to be visiting Let's Run each and every day. John's written up a, a great final piece on NCAs, kind of like my week that was. This is the NCAs that were most amazing stat ever. BYU was third in this meet. Their number one man, James Corrigan, would not have he was not in the top five for Oklahoma State or NAU. He was 32nd overall. Oklahoma State's fifth was 15th, NAU's fifth was 25th. That is wild. It is a great stat, but I have to give credit to Weldon Johnson because he's the one who came up with the stat. He said, wow, BYU's number one wouldn't have scored for NAU. And then I looked and I'm like, sorry, he said BYU's number one would have, wouldn't have scored for Oklahoma State. Then I was like, wow, you wouldn't have scored for NAU either. But Weldon is the originator of this statistic. Thank you, John. I was staying quiet there and was about to come out blazing. You're always welcome to continue working. Let's run. I will never fire you on the air, John, like Robert. Yeah, well, actually, wait, Robert, before we started the show, you said I was getting fired for something or other. I was figuring it was I was overdue because it had been about a month until you'd fake fired me. What? What's my offense this time around? No, there's just a recession, obviously, in internet news websites, but that's why people need to sign up for the Supporters Club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Back to this Oklahoma State win. People... What you write on the message board does get read by the people who, who run this race because I know for a fact that, well, I I, I I talked to Dave. He's like, 
my kids are in the airport reading about there's a big thread. I have no respect for Dave, Oklahoma State's Dave Smith. This was started before the meet. And a lot of the posts in this thread disgusted me. They're like, Dave Smith gets the foreigners, the Kenyans, and just steals the team. Mike Smith's a man of integrity. Those posts right there, to me, just I don't know how you could describe it other than racism because Mike Smith twatted out a women's team that had four transfers on it, three of whom were foreigners. The only difference is his foreigners are white. A lot of Dave's are dark or skinned. So, and one name, some of the names not coming up in this thread, ripping Dave Smith. I didn't see anyone talking about Tom Farrell. He was a foreigner on Dave's team. Fabian Clarkson, he was a foreigner on Dave's team too. Was their name in the entire thread? It was like a 13 page thread. I doubt it because they were white. And I don't like how everything becomes racial, but it was hard not to read this thread and think that. Like for some reason, and then people were talking about Dave's title teams back in the day, like German Machesso and those guys, they went to high school in America. Colorado, who doesn't recruit foreigners, was recruiting some of those guys. So before you try to take down a program and make kids feel bad, at least state the facts. Also, people are saying, um, Dennis Kepengedich, they're saying he's 23, 22. That's not true. The Dennis Kepengedich in World Athletics is not the Dennis Kepengedich at Oklahoma State. Take out the end. They've got his name misspelled on World Athletics. He graduated high school last December. He turned 20 last uh, two weeks ago, November 7th, 2023. So that Mojo rant officially over yeah i don't know if it's racism robert but if we're gonna rank the way people want it done and let's run the should we go easiest to hardest the all walk-on american team that wins ncas would be number one <laughs> then the scholarship only americans i think would be number two then you're probably you know a canadian transfer would probably be next then european transfers i mean i think it's just the nature of the sport when people bring in kenyan or ethiopian transfers not who didn't go to high school here i think that's oh then all like you know transfers from another school then foreign foreign runners from ethiopia and kenya i think is last what people sort of when when they're ranking of like judging what's fair wait you missed a step you missed the byu more uh religious mission where would they factor in well then Sixth and seventh year senior types. Well, COVID seniors. Look at NAU's team this year. They've got COVID seniors like Aaron Lasiris or Drew, uh, sorry, Brody Hasty or Theo Quacks. You know, the COVID super seniors. Does that, where does that factor in? I mean, look, all these teams, there are different ways to reach the top. If you if the kid's eligible for the NCAA, I, it's I mean I don't really care how these teams are constructed. You know, it was I I still enjoyed the race. I didn't really think too much about oh okay Dennis Kimbengetich from Brian Missile came over from Kenya. Like it just doesn't bother me that much. They're all operating under the same rules. So what I want what I'm kind of curious though is could Oklahoma State now have a budding dynasty? Because I'm looking at this team that got assembled. I think they're going to be good for quite a while. NAU's losing some key guys. They're losing Bosley, who is fifth. They're losing Las Heras, who is 18th. 
Brody Hasty has finally run out of cross-country eligibility. He was 25th. They're still going to bring back Santiago Prosser and Nico Young. They've got a couple of NXN or... Young? I'm not so sure about Nico Young. I think he might. I think he's going pro. All right. Do you think... I mean, Nico Young, who was just sixth in this race and has never won an NCAA title. I mean, I guess he's a popular runner, but I don't know if he's going to be in a rush to turn professional. I thought I heard that on the broadcast. Why am I getting that? I'm not sure, but I look at Oklahoma State. Their number one runner, Dennis Kibangedich, fourth, freshman. Brian Musau, eighth, freshman. Fouad Masaudi, tenth, sophomore. Victor Shitsama, twelfth, junior. Then they're losing Alex Mayer, who was fifteenth as a senior, as their fifth man. But I mean, Kibangedich and Musau, they they're both top ten guys as as freshmen, and there's probably not going to be an incentive to leave early because they're not going to be in as high demand. Like we saw Edward Cesarek stayed all four years because he wasn't getting some massive pro deal. So I could see Oklahoma state being very good for quite some time. And you left out a name, Ryan, Ryan Shoppy. 355 miler, 337 guy was 50th last year. I can't believe Dave that did this. I, I did talk to him after the meet. He said, I wasn't sure if I should pull the red shirt. He's in shape. He has not raced all season. He wasn't sure if all five men were going to come through because Victor Shichama hadn't done anything all year. He's got a guy that's 50th that he could run. And he said, two minutes for the race. He said, no, you're not running. That to me is crazy. Like I would have had to throw him out there because, you know, he's like, and I thought he finished around 40th. The crazy thing is if he finishes like 40th, he does well, 40th in team standings, they still lose. They would have lost. As good as Oklahoma State was, like their sixth guy was what? The sixth guy was 50th overall, 43rd in the team standings. But 43rd, their fifth guy was 15th in the team standings. So that's a dis- difference of 28. They beat NAU by 22. So they couldn't have afforded to lose one of their top five. Yeah, it's wild. Like you got a guy 40th sitting on the sideline of each other. So he did redshirt him, and he'll be back for next year. So because it certainly looks like a dynasty. Now, I, I will admit, I don't like it when the teams just totally, in any sport, just totally change every year. You get a whole new team. It's like, okay. And that, but that's what's happening. I, I do think we're going to start seeing some sort of NCAA rule trying to limit that. Well, three of these guys were on the team that got beat last year. I mean, Masaudi, My, sorry, Masaudi, Mayer, and Shitsama from the top five were all guys on the team last year who scored and part of the team that got beat. No, no I'm not saying they, I'm not saying they did that. I'm just saying like, I don't like it. Like we, we it's hard to predict next year because we, for all we know, one head coach could leave and the entire top five of one team could go to another team. Like, I, I just don't like that, but that, that's the reality. Um, as great as this men's race was, I do think we need to transition to the women's race, which was from a team's perspective, uh, even more exciting we also had a display of dominance by Parker Valby, the likes of which I hadn't seen in my time covering at collegiate running. Any final thoughts on the men? Because this women's race was deserves a lot of uh, analysis. John, your boy, Tom Brady, Michigan, 27th place. All-American. Tom, All-American Tom Brady. Congratulations. Yes, you can never get rid of Tom Brady. He might not be in the NFL this fall, but he's tearing up the college scene in his alma mater. No, well, I, I think we should turn to the women's race. By the way, there, John's got some more points. Teams, 
if you, we're going to link to his article in the show notes, Final Thoughts in NCAs, where he talks about which teams weren't ranked at the beginning of the season, and did well, which teams were ranked and bombed, etc. I think we, did, we devoted a lot of our live show on Saturday to the women's race because certainly the individual race, Tui versus Volby, was probably the headliner. Uh, maybe Oklahoma State and U and inside, but I think Tui Volby. And Let's Run Nation was split on the. If you read our, the poll, the poll in our individual article, Tui was the slight favorite by like two percentage points. If you looked at the prediction contest, slightly more people picked Volby. And I think the people in the prediction contest are probably more diehards, a little bit more knowledgeable fans. I think Volby deserved to be the, the, the favorite. But in the end, this was no contest. Get built up a 20 second lead. What, at 4K? Ends up winning by 10 seconds. So Volby wins her first cross-country title, much deserved. I mean, one of the greatest seasons ever in women's history. I mean, you have to probably go back to a Sally Kipiego type season if you're, if you're going to find a better one, if there is a better one. I, I want to know how much Kim Smith was winning back in the day. When I was first started coaching at Cornell, Kim Smith seemed like she'd win the regional by like two minutes. How much did she win? Yeah, I didn't by? I didn't go that far back. I think Kipiego, who won her final title in 2008, she was the last one to win by more. Than Parker Valby, she won by 16 seconds in 2007. She was, you know, as dominant as a collegiate runner as you'll ever see, and ends up being a future Olympic silver medalist. So I'm not saying this was the most dominant college season because you'd have to look at those Kipiego years, but it was certainly up there. I mean, okay, we take NCAA course distances with a grain of salt, but I feel like the NCAA course is usually pretty close to 6K to run 18.55 on that. I mean, that's we've never seen that sort of time in an NCAA championship. The margin of victory, she won by 10 seconds. Again, largest since 07. But also, she beat Darius Lemgol, the runner-up. She beat her by 33 seconds at the SEC championships. And I think the reason Parker Valby didn't win by more in this race is she got a side stitch for the final kilometer and her, that ends up eating into her lead it shrinks by about 10 seconds over the final 2k she ran a brilliant race she didn't panic or anything when she didn't get an amazing position right away but she just worked her way up on the inside she ran the tangents this time i was watching that i was like wow she's she learned a thing or two from oklahoma state just a, a terrific terrific performance to cap a terrific terrific season i remember she Broke the Nutty Comb course record by a few seconds. Beat P- Caitlin Tui by 12 seconds in that race. I, I, the one thing, though, if you're a Tui defender, you can come out and say, well, Caitlin Tui wasn't 100% in this race. Her coach, Lori Hennis, came out and said afterwards she's sick. And I guess the question is, do you think Caitlin Tui was 10 seconds better than Doris Lemongold? Like, what do you think if Kate, I mean, what do you think Caitlin Tui could have done if she was at a hundred percent in this race? We'll never know. But to me, battling a cramp is part of it, John. True. The fact that she's slowing down that much at the end, if Tui's on her game, could I see her running her down? Yes, I could. Now the, the Volby fans are going to, that's ridiculous. But I said, it was never in doubt, but Hey, you know, 20 second lead down to 10. How much farther do we have to go? So, to me, and we really praised her, John, on Saturday. It was cool to me. I hate the ties. It's a disgrace that we have two Olympic pole vault, world championship pole vault 
gold medalists and two Olympic high jump gold medalists. This is complete nonsense. You have to have a winner. You have to have a loser. So Parker Valby is the winner of this race. But in my mind, Caitlin Tui was a winner too. Obviously, the team did win in three peat by one point. Was it 122 to 123 or 123 to 124? The ladder. Amazing. But the way she battled for this team was very, very impressive to me. And you see the culture they have, the love for the, the sisters, the other people on the team they have that Lori Hennis has built at NC State. Because Tui's up there. She's in the lead. She's in the front of the lead pack, then right next to you know, the top of the lead pack. And then I, I walk out of the room for a minute. I come back at 4K and I'm like, where is she? And she's like in 11th place. And I picked up the phone. I texted John. I said, Caitlin Tui's. And I saw the NC State was winning. I couldn't believe it. Without Kelsey, Kelsey Camille, this is a team that lost the third placer from last year, the night before the race. And they're winning the meet. But I'm like, okay, Tui's going. This is close. Tui's going backwards. And I text John immediately. I'm like, Tui's going to cost them the team. Time. And I agree with you, Robert, because watching the race on the big screen, she was near the front of that chase pack for a good chunk of it. And then this isn't like she's 11th, but they're all crossing the line exactly the same. If you look at the broadcast, when they run over that 4K mat, that thing is starting to spread out. The eventual third, second and third places, Lemon Goal, Marquezic, they're starting to break away. Kaylin Tui's starting to struggling to hold on to the back of that group. It is stringing out. And I'm like, when you start fading like that in a cross-country race, when you're having a bad day, usually you don't rally and catch people. Usually you keep going backwards and it's a matter of stemming the bleeding and just making sure it doesn't get any worse. That is not what Kaylin Tui did. She battled back. She ran like a champion. When her team needed her the most, she delivered, okay, she scored five instead of scoring one or two, but absolute champion's performance. And she needed to pass everyone. She passed six people over the final two kilometers. If she had only passed five, North Carolina State wouldn't have won because they would have lost on the tiebreaker head-to-head to NAU. Now, she's not the only one who stepped up. We had Samantha Bush for the second straight championship. She passed 20 people in the final kilometer at Oklahoma State last year. This year, she passed 14 in the final kilometer to finish 28th. Amaris Tanisma finished the first for the first time as an NAC State athlete in a cross-country race. She actually finished the race. She DNF'd ACCs and regionals. She gets 25th. And this was also pretty amazing. Leah Stevens, the true freshman who was fading badly over the second half of the race, she ended up losing 13 places over the final kilometer. She crossed the line in 2008.2, the same time as Wisconsin's Leanne Willems and Cal Baptist's Yasna Petrova. They all had the same time, but Stevens beat them by hundredths. And again, if she loses to either one of them, NAU's your team tied champions. So what happened here, it was exactly what Dave Smith said on the men's race. If you're going to beat the champion, you have to knock them out. You can't let it come down to a decision. NAU, which had dominated the entire regular season, smoked NC State at the Nutty Comb Invitational. They had they didn't have a great race. The number one runner, Elise Stones, who was fourth in NCAA Cross last year, she was only 20th. A couple of their other women were a little off. They left the door open. NC State, like a great champion, seized that opportunity and won their third straight. It was, it was just a terrific, terrific all-around race by the NC State women in a week of adversity. And I was trying to think, how is this even possible? Because remember, when they lost Nuttycomb, well, but we thought, well, if they get back, Bush didn't run that, finish that race, or Tunisima. 
Bush didn't run at all, I don't think. No, Bush dropped out in 10 Anyways, like if we get one of them back, they could win. It really helped to have two. And they needed both back because Camille went out. But yeah, what Chewie did was amazing. I mean, she was four and a half seconds back at, 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 from fifth at 4K. This could have easily ended up like a Jenny Simpson type thing. When Jenny Simpson came back to win it all, individual titles out of the bag, and she ends up 160th. I, I don't think Chewie would have faded that back, but seeing her fade to 30th or 40th could have happened. She clearly knew that someone must have told her. I'd love to see an interview with her. She declined the interview request because she was so un, so sick that she didn't feel up to it. But I think she knew it and she's like, okay, I'm going to do it for the team. And it, it bothered me a little bit. There's some things on social media. John had a picture. Some people have video. I'm like, we live in the age now. We have to film everybody like her crying with the coach. I think she thought that she originally she cost them the championship and then she won. Imagine if they lost by one point. She would have thought up only and gotten one more person. Wait, so great thing about effort. getting videos and images, I thought that was one of the coolest. That's going to be the lasting memory of me from that me was Tui in tears finding out what they won. And then she's embracing Kate, her coach, Lori Hennis, with the scoreboard in the background. That for me was a really cool image. I'm glad it was captured. And obviously for them, it's a bit of a private moment because it's supposed to be a private moment because it's them talking to each other. But this is what happens when you get on the biggest stages in the sports, this is an NCAA championship. You are out in the open and your emotions get laid bare. So I think it was cool that it was captured. It was very, it happened right in front of me. It was cool to see. And I, I hope that fans got to see it because it tells the story of that championship and how much it meant to all of these athletes. Fair enough. But just I'm having to film everything. Although every thing I go to my kid, I'm always filming it. Just, when we have the drone that follows us around and films our home well, a whole life, it'll be kind of weird. But <clears throat> the thing I actually loved that was filmed was Kelsey Camille like, throwing up her crutches and celebrating. That was cool. Speaking of things that were caught on film, I don't even, Wells even knows about this. When John and I go to these meets and we have some private conversations with them. They don't have to end up on the podcast. But David Monte versus Old Weekly took a picture of, of, of Jonathan Galt talking to Jerry Schumacher of Oregon. John, can you say anything? Like, what did you guys talk about? Well, it was interesting because I went out to Jerry and obviously I've got a bunch of questions and a variety of topics to ask him. And I start talking and before he really says anything, he's like, oh, nice to see you, that sort of thing. And then before he says anything, he's like, is this off the record? And I'm like, well, does it have to be? Like, can I get to, it's like, is this off the record? I was like, all right, fine. So I, I can't really discuss it because I'd be violating what I agreed to be off the record. but. Yeah, we, we had a nice long chat. It was cordial. I wish he would speak to the media on the record, but he d- he doesn't want to, and he he didn't in this case. John, if you cross your fingers behind your back and say it's off the record, then it's on the record. So just FYI, Journalism 101. Now, John's been saying this phrase all week. You got to knock out the champ. But, I mean, do you really? If Leah Stevens runs like point... I don't know, 05 slower, we probably have a new champion right now, or at least we have a tie. I mean, that's crazy. Actually, we need, I need to demand to see the photo finish. Does anyone do that? To Dave sure? Smith did last year. He said when they were 83 to 83, I think he filed a protest. He just wanted to make sure that they were being judged. It's when your chest or whatever body part crosses the line first. He was like, there were, because there were multiple guys who lost by like 0.1 or 0.2. He wanted to make double check. If I was 
Mike Smith, I would have kind of done the same thing and like, hey, are we sure these people cross together. But all right, well then you you are right on that one. But one, it was a cool quote, and I like to run with it because you know we need our narratives as journalists. But two, I do think it really applies in this case because NAU, if they had taken care of business on the women's side, they win this thing fairly comfortably, right? If they had run their best race, they would have won fairly handily. Obviously, it's hard to do that at the NCAA championships. I'm not saying like, oh man, what you know, they totally choked or anything like that. But in the press conference before the race, Lori Hennis was asked, How many points do you think it will take to win? And she said, Oh, under a hundred, you know, maybe well under a hundred. And it only took it took 114 to win last year, which was still on the on the high side. This year they won with 123, which is one of the higher recent totals. It's the highest since Oregon won in 2016. So what I'm getting at is by not running your best race, that leaves the window open. You know, there's a, every team has sort of these margins, right? Oklahoma, NAU on their best day maybe scores like 80, and on their worst day scores like 140, and they were closer to their worst day, whereas NC State on their best day maybe only scores 105, and on their worst day scores like 160, and they were closer to their best day. And that's what happens. If, if you... you you can't leave a window open, and that's what NAU did in this case. Guys, it's a good thing you're sitting down. If you're a podcast listener and you're driving your car, you might want to pull over. It looks like the NCAA got this one wrong, John. I've just retabulated the scores. If you actually score the individuals just where they finished in the race, not their team placing, which I don't like how they don't count everyone in the race. They should just count where you finish in the race. The final score is NC State 164, NAU 159, folks. The NAU women have won their first women's team title under the Rojo rules. The Rojo rules are everyone in the race counts. Don't take out the individuals. And if you tie, you go to the sixth stand person. Thank you. All right. Breaking news. Three days off to the meet. If you just made up and changed the the rules to the entire sport, someone else wins. Cool. If you go by... Whoever has the most vowels in their last name, I'm sure we get someone else. I mean, Robert, I think sometimes you were a little cavalier with your sound effects. You hadn't used the breaking news one in a while, but this one, I mean, come on. I I had expectations of a major doping bust, of Grant Fisher finally speaking to the media after his departure from Bowman, and you're here to tell me that you just made up some new rules to Rojo Bowl and claiming NAU's the national champions. Okay, I'll try to make it up for you. I've done some research on, on these teams about how they won, how they lost the women's teams. I mean, immediately it's one point. So one point either way would have made a difference. But if you, if you look at the NC State runners, admittedly Bush and Tennessee didn't run Wisconsin. But where they finished at Wisconsin versus where they finished at NCAAs, Tui went from second to fifth. Leah Stevens went from 14th to 43rd. Grace Hartman from 26th to 63rd. If you look at their top five, they slowed down on average 69 places. So an average of 23 per their top three. Now, two is not going to go down that much because it's easier. The, the low stick helps you. That's really why they won. If you look at, at NAU, their top five on average dropped down 101 points. That's only uh, you know 20 points per person. So it's a little bit less, actually, than NAU. Their gap, but what happened was they got destroyed at number five. I mean, NAU's fifth woman 
I don't want to make it about one person, but Alejandra Upshop, she was 12th at Nuttycomb, 57th at NCAs or 45th in the team, uh, uh, 44th in the team scoring. So that's a big gap. Like it's just basically your four and five are going to go way farther back in a national meet. You, you, you're number one. If it's a low stick, like two, he's not going to go back that much. But what's interesting there is NAU's fifth Upshaw beat Leah Stevens at Wisconsin. Upshaw was 12th. Stevens was 14th at NCAs. Upshaw ended up 57th. Stevens ended up 43rd. And you can say that's, that's the title. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can say, Oh, that was the title when it's decided by one point. But I would say you, you need a top 10 finisher to win NCAAs. Do you guys know there have been 43 NCAA cross country championships on the women's side? How many times do you think a school has won without a woman in the top 10? Four. Read your article, okay. John. That, that is correct. Well, then glad that someone reads my stories. But yeah, and I, I mean, to me, it's that simple. And again, I don't look, you can't pin it just on one athlete because again, like Robert said, if the number five, if Upshaw runs a little better, they win. But I just look at this, Elise Stearns going in. I think everyone had her as a top 10 finisher. She was fourth last year. She was at the pre-race press conference. She didn't have a best day. She was only 20th. And if they do, if she's up in the top 10, they win. But you could also say that about, you know, if anyone passes anyone else on that team, they also win. But to win NCAA cross, you just, you need to have a single digit uh, at your number one. It's very hard to do it otherwise. Have to go, guys. Helping put on the turkey trot in my town. Packet pickup starts in 15 minutes. Brayden turkey trot. I don't know if I should publicize it in case something goes wrong with this thing. And I don't want someone coming too fast because then that makes more traffic problems for everyone else behind. Winning time usually isn't too fast in this thing. No finishing medals. All you get is a bottle of water at the finish. Are you running or you're just helping to organize it? Well, then. Helping to organize it. So no, no looking me up to see how slow I run. Can you print out a piece of paper? Let's run.com slash subscribe. Get 50% off into the code GOAT50 for sports club members. Or would that be considered a conflict of interest to pack a pickup? Huge conflict of interest. Huge conflict of interest. Not sure we'll be able to get it in, but outrage Philadelphia half marathon. People, some people at the end did not get their medals. It's like Armageddon on Facebook comments. Maybe we'll have to save that for next week's podcast, but. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Carry on. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I meant to ask you this on Saturday's show, John, was, and, and I've read some of the comments, but I just haven't watched the full interview with Mike Smith of NAU. When they've been winning, and this struck me, I think, in Tallahassee. He's like, I never told the guys once. I never once talked about winning the national championship. When we used to talk about that, it would just put pressure on the guys. We focus on the process. So you kind of win without focusing on winning. Was he still of that mindset afterwards? It's easy to say that when you're winning. And what were his thoughts on the performances? I know you said the men were happy because they ran so well and they realized, hey, this is one of our best teams ever. We just got beat by a better team. But did Mike have that same mindset? And did he express any disappointment in the way the women ran? Yeah, Mike was in a very good mood when I spoke to him. I think he was just jazzed up that, one, the season's over, so that's just a relief. Like, okay, he doesn't need to ha- worry about getting these athletes ready to run. Like, everything has been done. Practice is over. The race is over. I can just exhale because uh, it is stressful, especially, you know, going into this meet. But no, he was 
the men, he was really proud of them. He said, we ran great. Hats off to Oklahoma State. I, my, Dave Smith, I admired him when I got my start in coaching. They won three out of four when I was just starting as a college coach. You know, the the men, he he just, he genuinely was like pretty pleased with it. And I, I didn't seem like he was faking anything like that. The women, you know, he said they had a good day. I don't know if I would say that, but, you know, he he knew that they went in ranked number one. And even if they didn't talk about it, I know it's something they wanted to accomplish. Uh, at the same time, I think he can also see where they've come from. This was a team that for a long time didn't even make it to NCAAs. Then they finally start making some progress. And now, thanks to some transfers from New Mexico, from San Francisco, they've got a team that's capable of winning it all. Like, I don't want to understate the job that Mike's done building the program because they have gotten better year over year pretty much the last few years. But what put them over the top were these new women coming in. And I think he just kind of was like, he seemed to reflect the attitude that it can be hard to get this meet right. And people take it for granted that they've gotten it right so many times on the men's side. And for these women, this was the first time for many of them that they were put in a situation where they were expected to contend for the NCAA team title. That comes with pressure and expectations. And I think he was, he kind of understood, you know, it it doesn't mean we're going to get it right every single time and they'll have more chances. But yeah, he, you know, I think there was a little bit of sweetness there. But overall, he seemed to be handling it pretty well for a coach who, got two runner-up trophies, one of them by only one point. Well, that's cool. Man of his word then. Because most coaches, I think they lose by one point. And- well, I think the men running one of the best races NAU's ever run did a lot to buffet that. Like, I do wonder if it was just the women who had lost by one point, if it would have been different. But the men running so well, and especially the men's race was second, so he could kind of think about that was more recent in his mind. I think he was like, okay, yeah, we didn't do what we wanted on the women's side, but the men did run a great race, and he was, uh, you know, he understood why they got beat and could accept that. And I love the the respect they had, the two Smiths had for each other. Like again, I hate the ties, but I, this man, I don't believe in sportsmanship. And Mike Smith said, "NAU would be good without me. I'm not sure if Oklahoma State would be good without Dave Smith." So that was a cool comment. And then Dave said, you know, obviously. Any of this is one of the greatest dynasties in any NCAA sport, not just cross country. So, kudos to them. Should be interesting to see what happens in the years to come. All right, John. There was a few other things I wanted, not NCAA related, that I wanted to bring up. Oh, can we talk about the course real quick, though? I did want to talk about like the experience of being at the meet because there was all this talk going in about, oh, this meet is sold out and. How can a cross country meet sell out? What's the, you know, people want to go that can't go. And I shared most of my thoughts in my week that was article that was published on Monday. So you can kind of read them. But I'm just going to say UVA was correct to cap ticket sales because of, based on the resources they had available on Saturday, there were already complaints about the shuttles being taking a long time to get off the course. For some reason, they, the concessions were very limited, like only had basic uh, options, I think water and hot chocolate and candy. 
Oh, they didn't. Actually, I got an email. They said they didn't have any water or coffee, only hot chocolate and candy. It was pitiful. So that to me is something that needs to be improved. Sounded like the, the merch tent, the line was really long. A lot of people wanted to buy merchandise. And I think UVA underestimated the demand. They'd never hosted a meet, they said, with more than 1,200 people. And then for this one, there was 6,700 people. So I think all of those complaints, they the reason why Vin Lanana said they wanted to cap the attendance was they wanted to deliver a great experience for everyone. And they knew the more, if we've already we've only got these limited resources in terms of concessions and merchandise and the shuttles, if we try to stretch those even thinner, people are going to be having a bad time. And that's not we want what we want for our championships. So I do think there are ways this experience could have been improved. If they ever do host again, they know, hey, you've got to have merchandise, more merchandise available. They've got to have more concessions available. The shuttle thing, I don't think is, I think that's going to have to be a fact. If they host again, there's only one way onto the course and it's a single lane bridge. There's not that much parking at the course. So if they do host again, they're going to have to sh- have shuttles. But I, would, I wouldn't mind having the meet here again. Those logistical things, you f- fix the merch and the concessions, but the course was really awesome. Great spectator course. You could see the athletes a lot. It's in a cool spot. Charlottesville's a cool college town. It's closer to the Northeast than any other course that's hosted in recent memory, so it's a little easier for some people in that Northeast corridor to get to. I I have no issue with it going back to UVA, but it doesn't mean it needs to be there in the next five years because we have a lot of other courses that do a great job hosting that should also get their time in the rotation. but. I think this is a meet that should move around the country. I want to see it on the West Coast. I want to see it somewhere in the Northeast again. Would be fun. I can't wait to go to Madison next year. But those are my two cents on being on the course. There did seem to be a lot of people there. You know, the people are throwing around. Oh, is this actually a sell? Is it sixty seven hundred? There are a lot of fans on the course. Uh, I never know what to make. It's quite okay. of official attendance numbers, but it was well attended meet. Please stop talking. That was a little long winded there, John. I think it's cool that they could say it was a sellout. The bus lines going back, I realize now why they kept it. Because there's a one-lane road and they can only get so many buses out and you don't want to wait four hours. I'm wondering if we just artificially call me, cap meets and just say it's a sellout. You can't get more than 5,000. Then it creates demand, but then people probably start scalping them. Well, Robert, I was told the tickets, people weren't even checking tickets on the to get onto the buses. No, they, they didn't end up checking tickets. So if you just show up at the parking lot, anyone can get on the bus. They never charge. That's a fact. I had supporters club members text me that. It's also a fact that it's kind of pathetic that our sport is excited that we got attendance of like 5,000, 6,700. Although I looked up field hockey, like North Carolina, they have like a stadium of seats 600. People were sitting on this, the grassy knoll in North Carolina field hockey this last week when the 23-year-old head coach coached them to the title. I don't know. It's better to have a sellout and have an overcapacity than less. But I'm excited about the sellout. I think it was a good thing. I would. I well, I guess this, this is kind I of like this is kind of like the minimum we could have. I don't understand why it has to go to Charlotte. Can we find a place on the East Coast with a great course that everyone can get to with, with huge resources? But maybe it's it does. It's kind of like I don't know. I'm not sure. I was close to ripping them for not having more fans, but then I'm like. This is kind of no, cool. I like the course. The fact that it was a sellout at least shows there's some demand. They got, did a good job of getting the word out. I think they deserve credit on that one. But I, I am kind of like you, Robert. Like, okay, it's great that we got a lot of people there, but and it's a great course once you're at the venue, but is there not a course 
you know, somewhere in New England or the Mid-Atlantic where you have a great spectator course and you also don't need to rely on shuttles to cross a bridge. You know, is there a place with a you know, better parking set up or something like that? I'm not sure. Well, they had World Cross Country at Franklin Park, but I want to share my email of the week. I mean, the person that sent this email, I don't know if I want to give their last name. I, I should have asked them. I should have responded to the email. So if you send me an email and I don't respond, it doesn't mean I don't like the email. I just sometimes I don't get back to it. And I apologize if I'm condoning illegal activity, but encouraging it. People are saying it's sold out. People are talking about banding on the course. There was a message board thread about best place to park if you're going to band it. And I said, hey, did anyone actually band at this race? I get an email back from Moses. You said you wanted to hear if anyone snuck onto the course today at NCAAs. I did. I drove down from Pittsburgh yesterday with two friends, all of us for for former Division III runners, to watch the race. We had no tickets and no concerns. We knew there was no chance they could block off an entire XC course to three determined fans. We pulled it off by parking at the Ayersville Volunteer Fire Department. Now check this out, John. He stopped in the day before the race and talked to some firefighters who said we were more than welcome to park there the following day and that it's a public lot. We then ran to the course through Panorama Cemetery through the woods on a trail and did a few miles on the course as a preview. This morning, we left the fire department at 9 a.m., ran 2.3 miles to the course, and arrived with plenty of time to get a great spot to watch at the start. It was great to watch the race live in person. I just wish, wish Vin and Anna had let in more fans as the course did not feel near capacity. A huge benefit of our banded operation is that we didn't have to wait in the ridiculously long line for the shuttle after the word ceremony. We were back in our car before most people had a chance to get on their bus. I mean, bro. I only, I only, I only noticed one other car with fans using our gate crashing methods. Let us know if you have any questions on our six hour drive back. Moses, you are the let's run.com fan of the week. You and your two friends will be getting free. Let's run t-shirts. Just email me back, Robert, at let's run. Go to shop.let'srun. Tell me what shirt you want, what sizes. It'll be there next week. Robert, I actually think this is awesome because What's great about cross-country fans, many of them are runners who don't mind running about in the course. And if I think this is a, a precedent. If we have NCAAs of the course like this before, if you can find a parking spot two miles away and then run to the course, you should be granted free entry. Free entry to anyone who actually runs in because you're not taking up a spot. That's the most eco-friendly thing you can do. It's more eco-friendly than getting on a shuttle is running to the course now i guess you know you did drive there but yeah I'm, I'm all for this if you can run run to the course from a mile or two away absolutely let them in and this also proves confirms one other sus- sneaky suspicion i had if the world consisted entirely of division three runners or x division three runners it would be like heaven on earth there's n- is there a single like a hole division three runner I, I, maybe there is i just never met them like they love the sport for the right reasons. They're just fans. Uh, amazing email. I hope he listened all the way to the end of the show, though, because I didn't put that in. You know, I don't want to. I'm not going to email him back because then I could save the money and having to send him the free T-shirts. One other thing about the meet for me, people were praising the broadcast. Well, maybe it's because they didn't go for. Well, I'm not going to say that actually. I know what you're going to do. But Probably dumb. good to keep it off, but. Uh, any comments on the broadcast? I enjoyed it. I watched it back on Monday. They had John Grisham making picks. John Grisham got... He should have entered the Let's Run prediction Who? contest. He sh- he got three of the four picks right. Now, he kind of just copied Kyle Merber's picks, but 
team individual. John Grisham, the yes, author? Yes, John Grisham, the author, lives in Charlottesville. Came to the meet, got them on the broadcast. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't see that. We, we probably should send them a let's run prediction value so you can talk about who's the favorite or not ahead of time with, with some stats. The people on the broadcast what, what I did appreciate, run, Robert. I've talked to all of them. Carrie Tollison, John Anderson, Kyle okay. Merber, they've all seen our stuff before the meet. Was our name mentioned? I don't know. What I did enjoy was they used a split screen to focus on the leaders. And then also like they had a split screen showing everybody coming into the finish, like a hundred meters from out. So if you're a parent and your kids in 75th, you could see them. And I did, well, did, did, I thought about going back and I, I'll do this now, I guess today I can go back to Twitter and get that spot where the one NC state girl beats two girls by 100th a second. I, I didn't look, I, I kind of remember seeing it at the time, I think live and counting to fifth. Cause that was the fifth runner, right? I, I, it didn't look, I mean, she was running the line. She leaned to make sure, but I, I, well, no, we'll it, it looked like she Twitter. was dying really badly. And like me, I don't even know if she was aware they were coming. Like they had come and like, they were both past her within like a fraction of crossing the line. They already gone past her. Oh really? So Maybe I didn't see the right was, person. I think I remember seeing it while it was happening and I was like, oh, I was watching NC State carefully. I'm like, I think she just got them, but was she even aware? I, I don't know. You see it on paper and you're like, oh my God, they fought for every inch. This is amazing. And then you see it in the race. You're like, I, I, yeah, it's a little different, but. Imagine. Thank God they did. she didn't lose by one point. She'd be. Well, I don't think she let up. I don't know. You'd have, yeah, you'd have to go and rewatch it to get the full scoop. Okay, a couple other things I just want to say rapid fire. Remember this early in the year when Jacob Kaplima won World Cross and then destroyed Chepta Guy at the New York City half? And I thought, what if this guy just ends up being like, Way better than the world record holder. Then he opened up at what twelve forty three or twelve forty one on the track this year. But then he got hurt. Didn't get to run worlds. He's back at the Seven Hills Run. He said a world athletics best of forty one oh five. Well, actually, he equaled Joshua Chepter guys forty one oh five. Two thousand eighteen. Now 15K. people have run faster in half. Yes, for fifteen k. Some people have run faster, including Caprimo himself. The half marathon. Well, according no, according to but, all yeah. athletics, Robert Kiplimo himself is the only person who, sorry, alltimeathletics.com. They've got a 15k list. Kiplimo himself, they're saying, is the only guy who's run faster en route. Uh, I'm, I'm not actually sure that's true though, because well, the, that's not what David Monte is saying. David Monte is saying that he ran 40:43 at the RAK half, but also at the Valencia half uh, last year or this year. Solomon Brega 4101, Candy A 4101, Gabriel at 41. Yeah, so I was thinking Valencia and then Valencia win two years ago. The far the what they have is the fastest 15k split is Kiplimo's 4027, which is from his half marathon world record of 5721 in Lisbon in 2021. So but what, do we know what is what is he getting ready for, John? He's not doing a marathon, right? No. I just It's, it's it's like kept him. If someone's going to be well better, well better, way better than the goat in the marathon, it's him. Like if, if someone's going to be way better and just a, than Chepta guy, maybe it's Caplimo. That's all I'm getting out there. So it's just good to see him healthy again and running. Not sure what's next for him. Hopefully, World Cross in March. Because remember, he was supposed to run. He wanted to run the World Half this year and had to scratch due to injury. So. I would guess the next thing on his radar would be World Cross at the end of March. Also, I want to point out a road race in France, Urban Trail de Lille, 
World Cross Country female bronze medalist Agnes Ingetich ran 29.26, which is a Kenyan road record, which is pretty good. I think good. it's a women's only world record for the 10K. Dang, I wanted to talk to Weldon before he got off with there's hope for Evan Jager. We kind of wrote him off after this year because it wasn't a very good year, but apparently he had a misdiagnosed stress fracture. It happened to the best of them. Walden had like a broken foot in his foot for like two years at the end of his career. didn't realize it. So <clears throat> I was going to ask Walden if he had any hope for next year for Jager. I definitely think he can make the Olympic team. I think a medal's a real long shot, but I'm not totally ruling it out now. Well, you can ask me if you'd like. Hey, John. I agree with you basically i think a medal is a very long shot but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the u.s team if he's healthy i mean if he if he can stay healthy from right now to the olympic trials i think i would pick him on the team i just don't know if that's going to happen because it hasn't happened for most of the last few years but the one year he was healthy in the last like five 2022 he finished six of the world championships so he turns He's 34 years old right now. Yes, he's the greatest U.S. steepler ever. Absolutely, I could see him on the Olympic team. And the last thing I wanted to point out was my, well, this was the bold message board post of the week from NY South Runner on thread about the Bowman Truck Club. I've said it many times, and I'll say it again. Justin Knight will win World Olympic medals with Bowman. Just wait and see. Do you think that's possible, John? I mean, the guy's got the talent to do it, but what do we say about Grant Fisher? Like, how hard is it going to be for Grant Fisher to win a medal? And Grant Fisher hasn't been sidelined for injury by, for more than two years. I mean, Justin Knight's still not doing running workouts at the moment, as far as I know. So logic says no, Justin Knight will not do that because to take such a long break in the middle of your career and then you're going to be going up against Ingebrigtsen, Katia, Grant Fisher, Berega, Kajelcha, Aragawi. There's going to be a couple more of these guys coming along as some of those guys age out of the track. I don't see it. But yeah, if you told me the Justin Knight of 2021 who hadn't had any injuries, yes, I could see that guy winning a medal. medal. The Justin Knight of 2023, given what he's gone through the last couple of years, I think the odds are severely against him. I just like to see him get back healthy and racing again. I think that's what everyone would like to see. And lastly, some free coaching advice. In the thread on Dave Smith and Mike Smith, there was a post that I loved. And this was something I didn't do as a coach because I wanted everyone to like me. Isn't a coach, it's almost impossible for everybody to like you. This person says, somebody was ripping Dave, Dave Smith, says their cousin ran for him and he was injured and that Dave blamed him for his injuries and blah, blah, blah. This person replies, there are similar stories among a lot of the top coaches. There's a reason why their programs run successfully. They have to be the bad guy sometimes. I know several bad stories about Mike Smith, something most people here don't expect because they're, they're in awe of him. There are countless bad stories about Mark Wetmore, Chris Miltenberg, Vin Lanana, etc. I hated my own college coach, yet he is constantly praised by fellow alumni who happened to just hit it off with them. The reality is that these coaches are old enough and mature enough to not care what people on Let's Run say. They don't care. You're not their athletes. You don't provide value to them. You're not all high, quality. You're not all high and mighty. You're tearing down a cross-country coach who's made 2 to $3 million in earnings from his position. 
something most coaches at his level can't even get close to. I loved it. It's true for the most part, although I think Mike Smith, uh, Dave Smith made more than much more than $3 million. And I guess it's totally, it's not totally true that they don't care because I've heard from Dave this week about some of this stuff on the message board. Although he doesn't really care. He's more about, he doesn't like his athletes having to read it. Speaking of which, John, am I going to get myself in trouble if we heard roughly, can we share this anecdote? The rumor mill that we heard, how much, I don't even want to say the actual figure. Is Caitlin Tui's hoping to get? John doesn't has her ruled it out, so I'm going to say it. We've heard she's looking for north of five hundred thousand dollars a year. Would you pay it? Yes or no? This woman may never make an Olympic team. She is very popular, though. I mean, it depends what you're paying it for. I mean, yeah, she's very popular. She's a multi-time NCAA record holder. I mean. She's never trained at altitude, so if you send her, if you say, "Hey, she's going out to Flagstaff," I think it, that could be worth the investment. Yeah, I don't know, Robert. I'm I'm glad I'm not the one who's making these hiring decisions, but obviously, she's going to be in very high demand. She's won four NCAA titles. She's been a phenom since she was age 15. All right, people. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving break. Hope you sign up for the Supporters Club today. Enter the code CLUB25 to support Jonathan Galt or GOAT50 to save yourself the most. Let's run.com slash subscribe. And if you sign up now, you'll get the bonus podcast with Grant Blanks on Friday as your Friday 15. We won't be recording on Friday. We'll record it tomorrow. Send it out to you then. Otherwise, it'll be at the end of next week's show. Safe travels, John. Turkey, turkey. Or what do you say? Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. You left out the last word, but that's all right. See you on the message boards. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I guess you don't root for the Cowboys anymore, so I won't say go Cowboys, but I'll say it for Weldon because that's who he will be watching on Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all our Let's Run listeners, readers, supporters club members as well. Stay tuned later this week. Graham Blank's interview coming your way. Until then.